Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, June 16th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the College basketball stats by Will Will Warren and Go Big Orange Friday edition here on the program. Jam-packed show for you guys as we head into the weekend here. Uh, to kick things off, uh, Will Warren and I talked about uh, UNC with a big-time uh, recruit uh, reclassification for this upcoming year. Judah Mintz uh, returning to Syracuse. We talked about Caleb Love and how he fits with Arizona. Um, Colorado maybe being... Uh, a good buy low team uh, in the Pac-12 uh, for next season. Good defense, good recruiting class. Uh, look up uh, what Tad Boyle's got going on for the Buffs going into this year because it could be really good. Uh, KJ Simpson, all that and more. Um, is Kansas the favorite with McCuller back um, for his 97th uh, college basketball season? And uh, where Kansas stands uh, heading into uh, the upcoming season? Plus, Creighton deep dive into a big time year uh, this past year and why they're still, even with a couple uh, transfers, they're still in a good position to be, uh, if not the best, one of the two best teams in the Big East going into uh, this upcoming college basketball season. So all that and more with uh, one of the best, if not the best college basketball writer going right now. That's why Will will Warren. Uh, Also, go Big Orange Friday. with uh, Ryan Shepard and Jack Foster, both of Rocky Top Insider, uh, where we talked about the Vols winning at Southern Miss uh, this past weekend, Chase Burns, Heroics, uh, the Vols have figured out something with their lineup, uh, what to look out for in their matchup in the College World Series this Saturday against uh, LSU. Uh, we also talked about the, fall, the Vols schedule release, uh, who they're eight SEC teams will be in 2024 um, comparing this season versus next season's uh, schedule big recruiting weekend for Tennessee and uh, then uh, starting our schedule one by one preview here with these games so talked about uh, what to expect with 
uh, Virginia in Nashville, where the Vols are already favored by about four scores going in that one. So uh, all that and more coming up on today's fun, jam-packed edition here on Chase Thomas Podcast. Don't forget, folks, if you are a first-time listener, first, thank you for stopping by and checking out the program. Uh, if you like what you hear today, make sure that you uh, hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player that you never miss a uh, future episode here on this daily show, daily national coverage all across the board, along with some awesome beat coverage like Go Big Orange Friday, um, all that good stuff. So uh, make sure you're locked in here each and every day uh, so you never miss an episode. And if you're already subscribed, thank you. But also, if you have not already, please, please, please uh, leave this show a five-star rating and a review. Um, if you can uh, take a second today, right as you're listening, it takes five seconds. Um, helps other show continue to grow. Helps other people find the show, and all that and more. So if you could take care of that today for me, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, email the show for any college basketball questions or. Tennessee Vols questions for uh, the group here today, you can do so at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us your questions at Pod Chase Thomas. And as always, go check us out on YouTube if you'd like to watch this very show, putting out all kinds of great content, full episodes, shorts, clips, all that stuff. If you want to watch it um, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. All right, uh, there you go, Friday edition of the program coming up next uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq over there in oak ridge tennessee the legend himself freshly tanned i can barely i can barely yeah i, I can calm down not a tan this Do is like tan? a light I don't a tan. very light brown mm. it's like when you leave a piece of toast in the toaster for like 20 seconds i don't even know what yeah that's uh that's that's about right like hey i'm out here not tanning either the two non-tan people uh to this degree i will say though <laughs> my wife is now convinced that i am down or i am overselling my limitations in terms of tanning because the back of my neck is a crazy farmer's tan right now mm. and it usually does in the summer and i don't realize it like that's the place i guess i just forget when i'm walking around and doing stuff and doing my old man walks during the day and it's just i, I don't know that area tans but nothing else does and i'm terrified i don't want to battle the sun will i'm too mm. old to battle the sun and i don't like being burned at all i even put on a pretty good amount uh, two years ago in Jacksonville, I still got burned the first day at the beach, and I was like, and I was miserable. Like at the the rest of the week, you're like, I just, I don't like going to battle with the sun. Well, I, I yeah. lose every time. No thanks. No, we're too old for that. We're too wise. We're too old. Um, but Will, you were on vacation. You got some time away. You've run some some mileage. Uh, where <laughs> it's mid June now. How many miles are you up to this month? Uh, this month, I don't know off the top of my head, but I know for the year I'm at like 710, 715, somewhere in there. Okay. Per Strava. <laughs> Is that your app of choice to calculate it? I, I was a big run keeper guy for a while. And mm-hmm. I know my, my buddy Matt is huge. I think Nike has one. It's like mm. Nike run or whatever you long theirs. But Strava is just so much better for data for me, mm. which, you know, fits 
my building. So I, I am a, I'm a big Strava head these days. There you go. Not a sponsor. Could be. Uh, Fingers Strava crossed. I, I would love it for you and for me. Yeah, like why not Substack? We need to get that in. Like maybe that's the next evolution for Substack is presenting sponsors <laughs> for the Substack pages. And yeah. if there's one thing Will loves, it's advertisements. Um, I, I would. I would. Now let me clarify. I would accept advertisements on my website if it's like it, it's got to be some like Podunk local HVAC company. Mm. Now or or like yeah like uh, I don't know like Eco Heating and Air. If if you're interested and you want to pay like twelve bucks a month or something. Let's link up. Uh, Twelve bucks a month—that's low. You're selling really short here for a sponsorship deal. I don't know. You got to think of something. Twelve hundred, maybe. Twelve hundred. Yeah, it could be. Now uh, we need an exclusive title sponsor for um, for show me my opponent this year. So I'll have to Mm. to dig one out of the garbage bin for that. I mean, we got some over here. What's Remedy doing? Let's make Remedy the presenting sponsor. It could get Remedy. Mm -hmm. Need a. It would be great to get a little Applebee's deal going. There you go. You could also do Applebee's. There's all kinds. Yeah, big, big, uh, big Knoxville thing. Applebee's. Nowhere else. You say that, but I'm like, I've been in Knoxville <laughs> for three years fully now. Well, I don't think I've ever seen an Applebee's in Knoxville. Where is the Applebee's? I think there's three or four left. There's uh, it's East Town. Never over there. Uh, North Knoxville still has one. Where? There's one at Cedar Bluff, and then I think there's like one in Maryville, maybe. Man, I have no idea where the one in Cedar Bluff is. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's uh, yeah, I, I very, I of course very rarely go to one, but they do mm-hmm. exist. There you go. For for good or for bad, they exist. Or Big Ed's Pizza. Let's make that the presenting sponsor here. Great I would pizza. happily take a, a little Big Ed sponsorship. Yeah. Uh, I'm selling my soul for Culver's. I would do Culver's as the lead sponsor. Yeah think that would be good never had culver's it's very good uh okay. a lot of people uh, what i've noticed is that people who actually live in the upper midwest are like it's not very good it's just media it's it's fast food and it's like okay it's all i've got <laughs> mm-hmm. okay like i'm not asking for fine dining here i know what i'm getting into it's the same as when people complain about going to mcdonald's you know what you're mm-hmm. getting into that's true there's a baseline do you think you're more like midwestern or southern to people who meet you for the first time Midwestern. I don't feel like I have many. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's. Uh, it's hard to define like Midwestern versus Southern traits. I think like like being more stoic is probably a Midwestern trait. Mm. Um, I have noticed, for better or for worse, that I've started slipping because my dad does this into calling supermarkets like the Krogers or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he's big on calling Walmart the WalMarts. Okay. And, uh, and or uh, my personal favorite is the Cracker Barrels, implying that he's going to multiple in a day. Well, we just lost them too. Such a shame. Another <laughs> one's fallen. Cracker Barrel. Another one's fallen. I can't wait until they come for a. Uh, that's the, the real test. Is going to be when they come for like, uh, like McDonald's or something. Like something that's universally agreed upon is like. Everyone generically likes it, mm-hmm. like McDonald's or I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. I mean, Chick Fil A's up there, man. Chick Fil A. Well, yeah, they were trying to cancel yeah. the the chicken. I was going to say that was the number one for me. Where I was like, Chick Fil A is like a. This is going to be. Pretty I, I don't think they can. I don't think they'll pull it off. No, I don't think so either. That's that's got a real. Uh, have you ever seen Burn After Reading? Yes. 
uh, amazing movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's got a real strong uh, Brad Pitt's character vibe to it of mm-hmm. uh, where they're going with some of these. Yeah. They're just like, we're going to throw it at the wall. And it's like, this is the real shit, man, or whatever yeah. it is he says. Yeah. That's funny. Um, Will Warren, college basketball has been happening over the last few weeks away. I've missed talking ball with you, sir, and just catching up with you in general. And um something that happened uh since the last time because uh, it's the off season so we can play catch up it's okay uh mm-hmm. to do that on this very show sir um elliot cadeau is it cadeau is that how you pronounce his last name uh that's a great question i've only uh, read it never I'm heard it find out in november okay um, perfect well he <laughs> reclassified for unc now, and what, now what does that mean for him and unc well it's good for him because uh i think this is. I don't feel like this is a big controversial take anymore because it seems like a Jonathan. Is it Givony? Givoni? I don't know how you say. I've his always name. said Givoni, but I could be Giv- wrong. It could be Givoni, uh, the Draft Express guy. Yes. Uh, I think he came out and said that this is the worst draft class in a decade. This next season, not this coming, not twenty twenty three, but twenty twenty four. And so, one that was why I was personally a little surprised Julian Phillips didn't like come back and transfer somewhere because he probably yeah. would have been a top twenty pick. Um. And he's probably not going to go in the first round this year unless like somebody reaches. But for Cadeau, I think it's great because you go from, I mean, we don't really know enough about 2025 yet, but now mm-hmm. you're moving up a grade. You're going to play for a team that I actually quite like. I think North Carolina has probably got like a, one of the 15 to 20 best rosters. Okay. Um, which is, I, I, I feel it's kind of weird to come into this where I think people are actually underrating them a hair this coming season where their, their roster's got a little more potential for me uh, than last year was. Everybody was sort of crowning them, and it was just going to be really hard to replicate what they were doing. What do you like more about this roster this year than last year? Well, Caleb Love's not on it, for one. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, but I, I think it's a little more balanced. I think they're going to be less clunky on offense because there was a lot of possessions last year where uh, I'm remi- it's not UNC-specific, but I'm reminded of a GIF from mm. the uh, the Michigan year where they were number two opening the year and then barely snuck into the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, made the Sweet 16, whatever. But uh, Hunter Dickinson ran like a pick-and-roll set that he ran a billion times the previous year with like Franz Wagner and uh, Eli Brooks and whatnot. Mm. And he like rolled to the basket and threw his hands up because no one else knew how to run the set. Mm-hmm. And that was what it felt like watching UNC's offense last year. Mm-hmm. I, it kind of felt like five guys who met in the parking lot for the first time before the game, which was stunning because they were all returners, more or less. Mm-hmm. And so I think getting Harrison Ingram on the roster and out of the shackles of playing under Stanford will help. Cormac Ryan is an underrated player that I like. Mm-hmm. And Cadeau is going to be nice because he's going to take R.J. Davis, hopefully off of main ball handling duties, and spread the wealth a little bit. Uh, having Baycott back as your center and role man is really nice, too. I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty good mix of like old and young where you've got Kado, this you know fresh blood that can probably be a l- less chaotic than Caleb Love can be. And we're going to get to Love in this episode. But mm. you get Davis for his senior year. You kind of know what you're getting there. But like Davis, I like more than Love. And I think he adds a better net impact on the whole, which I feel like is just an agreeable take at this point. Baycott back, Harrison Ingram, Ryan. Uh, I like what they're doing. And... Uh, I think it's going to be a more balanced group for UNC, better all around. Do I think they're the best team in the ACC? Probably not, but I think they're going to... They'll be more like what I thought they would be last year than they ended up being. Hmm. 
So we're, I mean, obviously Duke's going to be better on paper uh, than UNC before the year. Are they the number two? Is there a scenario where the ACC's two best teams are Duke, UNC, just the... I think they're they're pretty easily the two best. I'm honestly, mm. I was quite shocked to, um, I think this was Heat Check that did this, their consensus top 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was really stunned to see Miami in their top 10. Mm. Uh, and it's zero disrespect to what Miami's doing. I mean, I kind of got steamrolled there. But, I mean, you don't have Isaiah Wong back. Mm. You did not have a deep roster in the first place. They really haven't done anything in the portal aside from get Matthew Cleveland, who I'm pretty lukewarm on. That's uh, a lot riding on the shoulders of Pack, Miller, and O'Meara. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a perilously thin roster that's basically dependent on them being a top three offense for two years running, which... I mean, they could be, but I don't think that's going to be a super reliable strategy when I already know they can't play defense. Um, so I think Duke and UNC are the top two. And you could argue, uh, I think you'd probably put Miami three, like somewhere in the 30s. But it's not going to be a deep ACC. It's going uh-huh. to be Duke and UNC. Duke probably a step ahead. And then a lot of just giant question marks behind them. Hmm um but there are some real upside like who knows what georgia tech looks like year one with damon stoudemire does uh nc state run it back what is how different does syracuse look like for the first time in forever and we'll get into i mean let's just let's mention like this is a good transition to syracuse judah mintz is back uh or is committing and uh he's back to syracuse so when you look at mintz to the orange men and what he brings to this group uh how does that change your your calculus for what syracuse looks like next year Syracuse actually feels a little underrated to me uh, hmm. among the uh, ACC, like by projection systems. And it's it's not something I anticipated saying, really, because I didn't like the Syracuse roster two months ago. But hmm. the more I've thought about it, the more it makes sense. Like, Mintz is a very good player. You got some intriguing role pieces in Malik Brown, Benny Williams. Uh, an interesting reclamation project in J.J. Starling, who was awful last season hmm. uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, 91 offensive rating, 30% from three. I That was a guy who I liked a lot more as a recruit than I did at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I remember discussing him last summer. So uh, I wonder if a change of scenery, change of offense could do him good. I, I don't think they're a tournament team, but I think like, I mean, right now Torvik has them uh, 13th in a 15-team ACC. Mm-hmm. I definitely see them finishing top 10, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a good step in the right direction. And I think... To be honest, I could see just like a, not like a true dead cat bounce where they're like immediately just, it's just like a, it's like the new manager bounce in soccer hmm. where it's like they they got rid of the, the old and just because that's off their back, they're going to be a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think just like they could have a little bit of like, we don't have to deal with this old guy on the sideline anymore who runs a system we don't like. Mm. We can kind of do something new. I think that's going to energize them. And, I mean, they have a lot of talent on their roster that's largely been underdeveloped and hasn't been touched. I mean, a mid-pack ACC finish isn't out of the question for them. I think they're Mm going to be – they're a tough team to truly project because they have so many moving pieces. But I like them more than I think most people are giving them credit for. I think that's fair. And I'm just excited about – what red autry is going to do with this group right like then mm-hmm. defense is going to be different i think this is going to be a more 
intriguing team. And like you said, the ACC, a lot of question marks. And I think Syracuse is a good buy low bounce back candidate uh, among just a very cluttered group uh, outside of Duke. I think Duke still is probably the only one that you would be like, all right, there's no way this team cannot be really good next year. I think that's the only team in the ACC that you're looking at them in that regard, right? Yeah. And, and Syracuse is going to have to play a really interesting style because they they lost Jesse Edwards to West Virginia, which kind of mm. seemed to be like pretty purely an NIL move, which mm. is fine. Like, I mean, go get your dollars. But uh, that what it's going to do is more or less force them to play pretty small. Their tallest player is Naheem McLeod, who's 7'4 from Florida State. Mm. But I don't really rate him that highly. I think he's probably about like their eighth best player. The rest of the roster is 6'8 or shorter. So there's a real chance that they're going to play significant stretches of games, if not the majority of games, with a six foot eight center and five guys on the court who are capable of hitting a three, hmm. uh, which is not something we've seen at Syracuse ever. Yeah. So that's going to be something new to watch, which I like. For sure. Um, speaking of things that are new that you're going to like watching, uh, the Caleb Love experience is on his way to Arizona. Um Here's what's interesting to me, and it seems like uh, I was listening to, I think, uh, a few of the 68 guys, Good Men and Company, when this happened a few weeks ago, where they were pretty uh, pretty, uh, ardent about the fact that Caleb Love doesn't make this move if he's not planning on starting. And you look at that Arizona roster, and you're like, and just his play style, and we've talked about it this very show, it lends itself more to, like, that J.R. Smith off the bench, like, six-man guy. Like, if he is the third guard you feel a lot better about Caleb Love. If you're not building your offense around Caleb Love, it feels a lot better. But I push back on that where I'm like, I think in general you could say that about certain things, but it's like, I mean, Tennessee, like you bring in Chris Ludlam and Dalton Connect, and I'm sure both went in um, to the transfer (laughs) thinking like, hey, we should be in a good position to start um, if we're going to make this kind of move for our last year of college eligibility. Like we have NBA draft aspirations, this, that, and the other. It's like just say Jordan James came back, came back, and now we'll see who are going to be the most important five. But someone's going to lift out. But like Rick Barnes is going to play the best five and the five that he trusts. Tommy Lloyd, I think at this point has earned a lot of respect. Um, he is obviously in a position of strength at Arizona, based on where Arizona is and where they've been the last couple of years. That like. I don't necessarily believe that's true where it's like, Hey, Caleb, you don't have a lot of options right now. You're running out of options. Like it's either you come here to a better situation. Um, we could use you, but like we are not guaranteeing you anything. And if it makes the team better by you coming off the bench, that's going to happen. So I, I think people are getting caught up in whether or not he starts or what that looks like, or he wouldn't make this move unless he thought he's me. I'm like, Tommy Lloyd in this group doesn't strike me as the type that would just acquiesce to, Caleb Love and in that regard if that's what it came up as I I think that's that's silly and if Caleb Love is better as a third guard great then Arizona will do that if he actually develops and is a a better player than what we've seen to this point in UNC and Tommy Lloyd gets through to him in different ways that's fine too but I I just I think people harp on that a little too much and I think it's a wait and see and I think Tommy Lloyd deserves the benefit of the doubt on this a little bit what do you think yeah I I think the best version of Caleb Love is one that's off the ball like Mm. um uh, I really, really do not like him as a ball handler. Mm. Uh, gets himself into a lot of negative shooting situations. Just a, a lot of, so, some really horrendous shooting selection from him in general. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, I'd take, you know, 
at least two of their guards over here. I think Jaden, I mean, I definitely think it depends on if you consider Pelly Larson a guard. I think he's hmm. like a wing guard hybrid. Definitely a better player. I think Jaden Bradley is better, the Alabama transfer. And it's arguable that Kylan Boswell is better. I know he's a far better defender than mm. Caleb Love is. Um, and so I, I agree with you. I don't think that this is necessarily a he's coming there to start. I mean, you can make an argument and a fairly feasible one that he's, you know, their fourth or fifth best player. Mm-hmm. Probably four. And I, I don't think that's going to be a popular take, but. At minimum, I think Ballo and Larson are better. I think Boswell might be better. And I think Bradley might be better. And that's mm-hmm. before you get to Keyshaw Johnson, who I don't think is like an amazing player, but was a huge piece of the San Diego State team last year and a good two-way guy. Um, there's a chance where, like you said, the six-man role is best for him mm-hmm. um, as like the, the microwave, basically, the Jordan pull of the roster at his best. Um I don't think he really... I think he elevates their ceiling a little bit, but also lowers their floor, Mm. where you give him a lot of minutes. And, I mean, people kind of like to do the whole, uh, you know, we're underrating Caleb Love because he had one bad year. And it's like, I think we overrated Caleb Love because he had two good games. Mm. I mean, the only two games where it's like anybody remembers from him are the UCLA game and the Duke game from their title game run. Mm. He was atrocious against Kansas in the title game. I looked it up before yeah. we started recording. 13 points on 24 shots. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And that's not to... And that's, I remember uh, him being really gassed in that game, and that's what a lot of folks, they spent a lot of time on the broadcast. I remember being like, Caleb Love clearly is out of gas. Like, Caleb Love is clearly gone. Yeah, and, and like, that's fine. I mean, you're allowed to have a bad game, but that comes after, you know, same tournament, five points, six turnovers against Baylor, and he fouled out. Mm-hmm. He has, I mean, you're going to get a game from Caleb Love where it's like, oh my God, he went for 21 and 8 in Arizona, just beat USC by 19. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, you're going to look at him and say, oh my God, Caleb Love just posted 7 and 7 points and turnovers in a loss to Washington. Mm-hmm. That's the type of player he is. And you're going to have to learn and live with it. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like Kerr Creasa upgraded in a mm-hmm. way. Like Kerr Creasa with better SEO, I suppose, <laughs> and less annoyance. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I can see where this could work. I can also see a lot of ways in which it couldn't. Um, but like you said, I think Tommy Lloyd's earned the respect at this point. I think, you know, I don't think it's controversial to say he's probably a better coach than Hubert is. Mm. And a, definitely a better offensive coach than Hubert. And better at getting the most out of that side of the ball. But I don't think it's going to fix Arizona's problem of having a very attackable guard on defense. Hmm. That's fair. Um, we'll, we'll stay in the Pac-12 here for a second, Will. Um, we're doing this around different conferences uh, this offseason, and I want to parse your uh, brain here. The Pac-12 team that struggled last year, that you now like their roster and scheme now. It cannot be Cal. I'm not oh, letting God, you be I Cal. Love Cal. Love I know Cal you team. love Cal. It can't be Cal. So I, I did some uh, some research for this one more so than usual because mm. i actually had a couple i was pondering i think usc is a very easy pick and i'm not going to mm. go that direction just because okay. they got more talented yeah isaiah uh, collier in the fold no. the the team that made the smartest moves without a huge war chest behind them is colorado mm. uh i like a lot of what they bring back so kj simpson he of torturing tennessee returns um tristan da silva 
will be back, or, mm-hmm. or I think he transfers in. Uh, my, or sorry, my bad. I'm thinking of a different De Silva. Tristan De Silva is back for his fourth season, mm-hmm. but they got Cody Williams, a top five recruit, which is again shocking for Colorado. Yeah. Um, Eddie Lampkin from TCU mm-hmm. transfers in. Lots of likable pieces that they have. I don't know that aside from Simpson, I like any of them as scorers. Mm. But I think that once again, Tad Boyle is going to have a nasty defense. It's his, just like his thing they always have is you can pretty much guarantee Colorado is going to be really tough to break down because they switch a lot. They have a lot of weird schemes they put out. Um, they can move from man to zone pretty easily, mm. and they are tenacious. And I, when, when Tennessee has played them in the past, uh, purely as a viewer, I really haven't enjoyed it because I think they do a great job of shutting down what Tennessee wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tad Boyle, great coach, just top to bottom, really likable guy. Um, they're they're going to be a really interesting team to watch because they're going to have a log jam in the front court of sorts where Lampkin, De Silva, and Williams all are starter-level players, but you can't start all three together because you don't want to start multiple non-shooters. Mm. So they're going to have to pick two of those three, and I don't think you're going to bench the five-star top five recruit. And I don't think you're going to bench an all-pack 12-level guy in De Silva, but then you have Lampkin, who is so dominant at TCU when he was healthy. Mm. So I'm not sure what they're going to resolve there, but it's a lot of talent. I like Simpson a lot. I think he's an awesome player to watch. Julian Hammond is an underrated pace in the backcourt. Hmm. Uh, the more I look at them, the more I like them as a borderline top 25 team. Uh, and uh, I don't know. The Pac-12 in general strikes me as a very fun conference this coming season, where it, as it has in years past. There's a lot of – so I mean, you're going to have US, you're going to have USC, right? Like, hmm. that's the one everybody's going to watch. And, you know, I don't love this UCLA roster, but I think it's just sort of like you give Mick Cronin the benefit of the doubt more often than you don't. Hmm. Same with Arizona. And then beyond that, you got Colorado, who I think I could make an argument for as having the second best team in the Pac-12. Maybe not roster talent, but team organization. Mm-hmm. You have Oregon, who really needs a good year. You have Utah, who had about half of a great year last year and sort of cratered towards the end. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a lot of intriguing pieces. You got Stanford, who badly needs to make the NCAA tournament before the Earth melts. Uh, you have Washington State, who kind of needs the same deal. They need to break through. Got Cal, who I really love, with uh, Mark Madsen. Uh, I I could give you a good reason to like or be interested in ten of the twelve teams in the conference. Did you leave out Washington? Wash. I forgot Washington. I I, I still don't like Mike Hopkins. I think he's a an openly middling coach. Also, he's like the coach in like different conferences. You're like, who is it now? Because like you just you forget that he didn't get fired like two years ago, where it, like yeah. it went off the rails at UW a while ago and he's still just hanging around and you look it up you're like I could have sworn I saw on the ticker on ESPN a year and a half ago that Mike Hopkins had been let go at UW and he's still there. Yeah. It's amazing he hasn't to be honest but yeah. they're, they're going to be interesting the because they're just so old their yeah. top six players are all seniors hmm. uh, which is I mean that could be like they're already mid and you know they're not going to get any better mm. but it could also mean they're just older and bigger than everybody else which happens in college basketball yeah. You see teams just, like, pop off a solid year because they were old. It's like Penn mm. State this past season. They were very, very old college basketball players. Uh, like, I don't know. I could give you a reason to be interested in or like mm. 10 of the 12 rosters. That's fair. 
That's fair. And then if you really want to get the big time recruits, you want to make sure you add a zip line uh, to the back pool area. That's a great <laughs> recruiting tool because you might uh, have a kid, you might have a five star kid who's really into that. And and, and then your five star is too rough on the rope, and he keeps riding the zip line over and over, and uh, forces Mike from Entertainment three hundred and sixty to come out and tell you you're too rough on the rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a hey. You got to watch the show, folks, to know what we're talking about here. <laughs> deep cuts just don't ask us about our kids um kansas gets a big returning player and they are looking like they might be the favorite once again they it's almost like we talked about where it's like last year we all we like kansas coming into the year they were going to be one of the five best teams in college basketball but it's just so rare for teams to repeat and obviously bill's health dealt with the health scare um and during the tournament time and it was just it was going to be hard and then that only uh made it even harder mccullers back in the fold though you look at this kansas roster grady dick out probably a lottery pick it looks like um here Mm -hmm. for kansas but when you look at this group will with who they're bringing back who they recruited what it's going to look like in the big 12 which is increasingly a more loaded big 12 does kansas feel like to you that they're geared up for a favorite year where they are the number one team in college basketball once again uh, I don't know about number one, but I think they're going to be in contention for it. It's, I feel like we're in for another year where it's like eight different teams get to be number one. Hmm. And so Kansas will probably inevitably be top at some point. Do you think Tennessee we'll, will? Uh, maybe. It's going to depend on... I don't think they will in the non-conference because their non-conference slate is pretty nasty. Unless yeah. they can manage like a zero or one loss run through it. Um, Which is possible, though. It's plausible. And like... SEC-wise, I'm sure they could string together a nice run based on schedule. Uh, but the the problem with being in the Big 12 is you have to play at the Big 12. Yes. And so you're probably not going to be number one for long if you get there. Um, but the, the thing with McCuller, I like him a lot more as a defensive piece than I do offensively. I think he's mm-hmm. like kind of secretly a bad offensive player. Yeah. Um, moves the ball okay, decent on the boards, but awful, awful, awful shooter. And uh, 29% for his career has yet to top 31% in a season. He can get to the rim, but jumper, anytime he takes a jumper, the opponent celebrates. That's not mm. really what you want. And I'm not totally convinced of them as a shooting roster yet. So Dickinson, great shooter for a big. Love having him in your roster, but you don't know much about KJ Adams as a shooter. Nick Timberlake did it at a mid-major. We don't know how well he can do it against a much, much tougher uh, group of opponents. Hmm. Don't know much about Arterio Morris yet as a shooter. We talked about McCuller. Dewan Harris not really proven as a shooter. So you got a lot riding on a variety of like freshmen hmm. or pieces that you don't have a ton of data on uh, shooting-wise that I think is a little worrisome for Kansas' aspect. But at the same time, you're you're pretty much guaranteed for Bill Self to get the most out of a, a roster again. And, you know, maybe I've undersold Harris a bit as a shooter. Maybe he can keep his efficiency with greater volume. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, Adams develops a three-point shot. Maybe McCullers finally finds his stroke in year six or whatever it is for him. Um, but I, I'm not totally convinced they're number one, but I will not be surprised at all if they end up the best team or, you know, no worse than top five. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to think who who have re- who have uh, who the last what twenty years have won two in three years? Who comes to mind? Has anyone done it? Villanova, Villanova, Villanova and Florida are the only two. Yeah. Okay. 
There you go. Um, UNC close. I think UNC had two and four or two and five. Okay. Hmm. Um, Will, deep dive team from 2022 here. Um, Creighton, uh, the Creighton Blue, ja- uh, Blue Jackets, Blue Jays. There's the Columbus <laughs> Blue Jackets, and then there's the Creighton Blue Jays. It's very annoying. Um, but they lose an important cog uh, in the portal, um, a couple in the mm-hmm. portal, one to Gonzaga, uh, which is no surprise, and one to, where did he wind up um, just this week? Why am I blanking? Um not where did he lined where did he wind up baylor no where did he go um creighton who am i thinking of right now are you you're thinking of ryan nempard to gonzaga right and then Who's arthur kaluma kaluma yeah where did he end up he is at kansas state kansas state that's right okay there you go um so those two out the door there but when you look at what the 2022 creighton team looked like how they performed deep tourney run good year for mcdermott been able to keep mcdermott for this long uh without him jumping for another job just to see um what he would do potentially at like a texas or something like that with uh, all the resources in the world one of the i think you and i agree one of the better coaches in the sport better offenses better developer of talent your guy by there schneiderman uh coming into last year you were pretty high on that addition but what did you see from creighton did they overachieve underachieve based uh kind of got to where you thought and is the future still bright going into next year for Creighton I thought they had a really fascinating year of narratives Hmm. uh where so you you know they start out six and oh come up just shy in Maui against Arizona but you beat Arizona or sorry you beat Arkansas in what was a great game Hmm. beat Texas Tech before you knew Texas Tech was just kind of middling uh and so six and one and you're like oh yeah this is a top 10 team that everybody Hmm. saw coming and then December happens, and they lose six in a row, including you know some pretty stink, pretty big stinkers to Nebraska and Arizona State mm. and BYU, which I had forgotten about. Uh, and they're six and six, and you're like, well, you know, what do we do with this team? Mm. They're clearly not the top ten team we thought they were preseason, but are they as bad as the stretch? And you know, they had played some of those without Ryan Kotbrenner, who mm. you know missed I think three games with injury. Uh, but once Biggie's play started, it was like they hit the reset button and they were fine again. You go mm. from nine and eight to a uh, twenty-one and twelve finish, so twelve of sixteen right there, including some really strong victories over UConn at home over Xavier. Uh, but they they ended up being stronger in the metrics than they were by the polls, which is the reverse dynamic you saw in the preseason, where the polls had them, I think, ninth, but Ken Palm had them twenty-third. Uh, so it ended up, it was a strange reversal of fortune for them where I, I wasn't as high on them as, a, as the pollsters were coming into the season. But once you got to the tournament, you were like, oh, they are arguably the best team in the bottom half of their bracket. Mm-hmm. It's going to be them or Arizona. And once Arizona lost to Princeton, the path for them to make a little surprise Elite Eight run was wide open. But they that was the best McDermott's done so far in terms of marrying a good offense with a good defense. I feel like when we've seen Creighton before, they've either, they've had one or the other, and it's more commonly been the good offense. So the Doug years, you had an elite offense, top five, three years in a row, but three straight middling or terrible defenses to go with it. And then last season, you had a great defense, top 20 in the nation, with a makeshift roster, but an awful offense where no mm. one could score. And then finally this year, you had both. You had top 15 defense, in a top 25 offense, one that seemed to get quite a bit better as the season went on. 
they, they were never elite offensively, mm-hmm. but they were very good at you know finding their spots. You know, great at finding quality twos. Had a lot of good shooters on the roster. Obviously, Shireman, but Trey Alexander was excellent. Mm. Kalkbrenner was dominant in the paint for a big. Nemhard, great inside and out. Uh, some good bench pieces that people have forgotten about too. Mason Miller, surprisingly, a very good shooter off the bench for them. Um, mm. But I, I liked a lot of what he did throughout the season. They got stronger as the season went on. And, you know, generally I don't love picking those teams come March because they're mm. pretty easy fades. Like it was how UConn was a lot better the first half than the second. Those are the mm. type of teams. Same with Tennessee. Those are the type of teams you want to hunt in March because March is the great reset. Mm. It presses the button. Everything is anew. Like you're not seeing the same teams in the same routine over and over and over. Mm. But they surprised me and a lot of people by, you know, you get past NC State, which is one thing, but, you know, them only beating Baylor by nine is pretty deceptive. They had mm. the pedal to the metal for a large portion of that game. And then, you know, take care of a 15 seed, come up a point short on what some are going to call a controversial call against STSU, but I think was the right call, uh, mm. them fouling Trammell. But uh, I like a lot of what they've done. They've adapted to the Big East well. I think they have a good budget behind them as well, you know, for program ops and for um, NIL purposes of getting Kalkbrenner back, of getting some other key pieces back, Shireman back for another run, and then just some good moves they've made elsewhere. Like getting Stephen Ashworth from Utah State is a tremendous ad. Hmm. Like that guy, tremendous, tremendous shooter, 41% for his career, great ball handler. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch once again. And so I, I remain excited for what he's doing there. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see them as a top 10 team for the second straight year in a row. Uh, only this time, I think they're going to have a better shot of upholding that hype in the regular season. Are they the preseason best Big East team for you? Probably. It's it's them mm-hmm. or UConn, and does a coin flip. I, I like both mm-hmm. rosters a lot. Uh, I would I would give... A very very tiny edge to Creighton, but I, I hmm. think it's you know one A one B situation with Marquette close behind. Are they a dark horse one seed come tournament time? Sure, I mean they they could be. Uh, the Big they've East they've never is been a one seed before, though. right? There's no way. No, I think the top they've ever been is a three. Okay. Uh, but the uh, well, the, well, I guess they would have been a two had the COVID tournament happened. But hmm. yeah, I mean. Big East this year is going to be quite the frisky conference where it's, you know, them, UConn, Marquette, but Villanova figures to be a lot better. You have St. John's as a rejuvenated roster. Providence has a lot of talent, but a year one head coach, which is always an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. Xavier should be solid. Seton Hall should be a little better. Maybe you get a year one bump for Georgetown. Uh, I don't really know about that, but Mm. um, yeah, I, I, that's going to be a really good conference on the whole, and whoever comes out on the top is going to be a very deserving and very battle-tested champion. For sure. Uh, Will, stats caught your eye in the last month. Do you have any – what's your what's your go-to stat for us here tonight as we wrap up? I wish I had a better one. But um, uh, you can scroll through the talent ratings on Bart Torvik's site because I've been doing this for – I had a post about both FAU and Kentucky recently. They're separate posts. But – yeah. The FAU one was sort of diminishing the hype a little bit, and the Kentucky one was sounding the alarm because I really do believe Kentucky's in trouble this coming season unless they can you know, add a player who has played a college basketball game before. It um, is weird, right? Like, I mean, Kentucky yeah. losing Oscar Shibway, but... Well, it, it's not just that. It's like they losing Arthur Kaluma to Kansas State. Yeah. Like, and that also didn't just happen losing... three years ago. 
they just have no they haven't been like they've it's so weird because i mean kentucky sports radio folks have been all over this where i'm reading different pieces on it and then like austin reeves like the stuff today where he's like trying to graduate this summer so he enrolled Mm -hmm. at illinois state and if he finishes the summer then he can be a grad transfer and he'll play somewhere like you just look at all the different dudes and who's gonna be on this roster and like you said like they've recruited unbelievably well like this is going to be an uber talented young group of guys but they have struck out in weird ways to Mm -hmm. a lot of teams like you said with kansas state and company where like this should not happen at kentucky and i don't know if it gets cleaned up uh in the next year but this is going to be extremely weird of a season for kentucky yes there's no uh, way it goes either it's there's no way they're a mid-level team they're either awesome and this all works with their young players or this is a disaster i, I could see them i don't think they're gonna be awesome but i think like they could be top 15 mm. or they could just be an nit team yeah uh stats of the week I've been playing, so that was all to say, I've been playing with Bart Torvik's talent rating a lot lately and mm. finding comparisons to UK and, in, and FAU especially I was looking for. Mm. Um, but the uh, the top four teams in his talent rating, which is just who has the most on paper, you know, both recruiting and returning talent in college basketball, largely recruiting. Mm. Can you guess what conference has the top four teams in this metric in America? Hmm. And we have discussed three of those teams in this episode. Oh, Big 12? Uh, the ACC. Oh, ACC. Okay. Can you name the four teams? And what were the parameters again? Top four teams in on-paper recruiting talent. On-paper recruiting talent. Four teams. Um, Duke. Correct. North Carolina. Yeah, that's two. Yeah. Um, and it's going to get tough from here. Miami? Miami is not one. Okay. Um, let me think for a second. Uh, definitely not UVA. I'm, I'm going to give you a spoiler that these two programs have changed coaches in the last two calendar years. Oh, so it's not Pitt. I was going to be like Dark Horse Pitt. Um, they have not changed coaches in the last two years. Uh, they have. They have. Oh. Um, oh, Notre Dame? It's not Notre Dame. Notre Dame is close. Okay. Top 25-ish. Um, not Boston College. Who am I? Th- who am I? Met? I'm trying to think. Not Tech. There's no way it's George Tech. No. I don't know. Just tell me who is it. It's Syracuse and Louisville. I know. Ne- I forgot about Louisville. Like Louisville was an obvious one with their town. That makes sense. Okay. So and and obviously you don't want to like think too much into it because Louisville had I think six top 100 former recruits in the roster yeah. last year and were god awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they did add a couple more this off season. Yeah. You, know, you return Huntley Hatfield, Sky Clark, or will they get Sky Clark? And, yeah. and we'll see how that goes. Mike James, Trey White, etc. It's an extraordinarily talented roster of 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. But the problem is some of them are 19 through 23 now. And so you don't really know if they're going to be any good under Kenny Payne, but see, and that's why I'm more into Syracuse than I am Louisville I know what a talented roster looks like at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw it last year and I was not impressed. Uh, maybe I think they could get a lot better this year, but you know, I don't know that for sure. At Syracuse, I don't know about Red Autry. And I'm more interested by their ceiling than I am their floor. Mm-hmm. Where you've got Mets, you've got Starling, the former five-star. Benny Williams, I think, was either a five-star or a borderline five-star. Uh, Chris Bell was a top 100 recruit by mm-hmm. some services. 
Malik Brown, uh, fairly well recruited Chance Westry from Auburn, former four star. Hmm. It's a and it, it's a lot of on paper talent that's all sophomore juniors, which means they could take a surprising bot. They, they have a very high ceiling and a extraordinarily low floor, like a Louisville last year level floor if hmm. it doesn't work out. But I, I just found that interesting that one conference could have the top four and then basically nothing after it. Like the next team up is Notre Dame and they're in the twenties. Wow. And fun fact, I would like you to guess who is number five on this list. Uh, did I already guess it? No, it's a Big Ten team. Oh. And they are in a state that borders many Great Lakes. Oh, Michigan State? It is the University of Michigan. Oh. Ton of on-paper talent. Hmm. Questionable coach. Yeah. So I... That's it's the fun of the talent metric is like you can see the ones like Duke. Obviously, they're going to be crazy mm. talented, lots of returners. Obviously, they're going to be good. But what about these teams that have taken chances on old four and five stars? You know yeah. what happens with them? It's going to be fun. Hey, have yes. you heard this? This is why they roll the ball out and play the game well. <laughs> this is why they do it. Yeah. Will Warren, uh, what can the good folks check out from you over on the Substack? Statsbywill.substack.com. Subscribe today if you have not already done so. But uh, what can the good folks look out for you over there this week? Uh, I put up a post on Tuesday about Kentucky's forebears, a.k.a. Mm. teams that have been extremely uh, low on experience but relatively high on talent. How have those teams performed in years past? Mm. Is this team going to you know, be like the 2018-19 team with Hero, P.J. Washington, et cetera, or are they going to be Nerland's Noel Part 2? Um, obviously, with five months till the season, you're just playing hypotheticals here, but mm. it's better than nothing. Uh, I got more projects coming out. I'm still trying to get a solid data set on short-range jumpers versus floaters, mm. and uh, so far they are dead equal from the data I've acquired which is fascinating. There's not hmm. a significant difference in field goal percentage for one versus the other, even though every coach I talk to preaches shooting off of two feet versus one. Hmm. Interesting. There okay. you go. It's a, it's a vindication for my buddy who used to do three point floaters to piss off opponents and pick up three point floaters. And he, it was, he could, it was very strange. He could not hit many other shots, but he was very good at this one trick shot. And he won us a game single-handedly doing it as his opponent refused to guard him and uh-huh. proceed, like progressively got angrier and angrier every time he hit one. What was your, like, what's your most dominant um, pickup uh, move or skill set? Because I... Uh, defense. Okay, it's funny. I'm De- extremely good at defense. The one shot I can hit with any regularity is like a 15-foot jumper. Hmm. If I were to tell you that I was, um, after my AAU days and my retirement uh, uh, post-college um, and playing at the, the local LA Fitness for many years on some Thursday and Tuesday night runs. My Sunday runs were probably the favorite because everyone was off work. Sundays were pretty competitive and good. Um, but I, to stay on the floor with a bunch of adult men who were a lot bigger than me, um, like I could always shoot, but I I pressed. Like I was someone who was pressing like it's one Oh and we're doing full. Like I'm like in your ear pressing and like it's, it's, you're not going to have a good time. That's like the good thing about being a runner in <laughs> uh pickup basketball in your twenties, because you're totally fine. Just an, 
playing full on that and it's just an easy way to wear out the opposing team's best player and i would wear people out in that way that's well that's my thing is uh my uh, i do use the running skills and pickup mm. but it's just off of screens like mm. uh, i spend most of the time on offense because i i hate ball handling because i know i'm not good at it and i don't want to cause a bunch of turnovers for mm. our team so i try to just be as off ball as possible and just sprint across yeah. the court like constantly come off the screens and just wear down the defender. So Jalen Brown should like... watch a lot of Will Warren uh, summer ball tape. <laughs> so he stops dribbling and he just gives it up. Yeah. It's just not worth it. It's a, that's my, I've got two skills and they're probably like the most infuriating things for mm. people playing pickup is like playing solid defense. Like I try to not foul. I mean, mm. like you're going to, cause you're not as skilled as a real college player. Uh, but like trying to not foul while playing good defense and then uh, just, you know, running nonstop on offense, it uh, it can rile up the right guy, which is what I'm trying to do. One thousand percent. Being in really good shape is unbelievable for pickup. If you are in good running shape, that's mm-hmm. the best thing. Is running off screens and then full court press is uh, what you want to do. The, well, no, War- the, the oh. best is when you run a zone, though, <laughs> and you convince your team. Uh, I've been in like a couple games where a guys like, "We're going to do a two-three zone." Mm. I'm like, "Okay, I know how to run that." Does anybody else on this court know or remember else how does. to run a two-three? It zone? never works. Two-three yeah. zone never works in pickup. Maybe when you have a league team and stuff like that. Like I did that in my twenties. But um, if you're doing like the, just a random pickup, getting five guys, five strangers to uh, communicate and play uh, a quality two three zone is uh, damn near impossible yeah or playing with uh and this is no not an ageist thing but playing with old guys mm-hmm. um old guys love playing below the free throw line yes which is horrendous for offensive spacing mm. so it's like you have two dudes all like 250 year olds always posting up uh and then it's like the game is played within like 20 square feet Mm. and it drives me insane watching it i'm glad that my pickup days have i'm retired will because mm. like my knees and i my mostly body. am too at this point it's just your bodies can't do it like our bodies are just just can't do it like well, you're hung I over can, i can do like two games but the worst was when i'd get when i'd be having a lot of fun and then you get suckered into like a six game saturday or something yeah because you if you win you're gonna keep playing you're not and you won't feel it in the moment out. you'll yeah. feel it tomorrow You'll feel mm. it in the next, like mine was when I didn't have health insurance and I was bartending in my late twenties where I was like, oh, I just like messed up my knee again. Like I have to, like, I don't have a choice here. Like this is insane. Like I, I can't keep doing this. My wife actually did the same thing in her early twenties with soccer where <laughs> she got hurt and she was like, oh, right. This is not good. I like she broke her wrist playing soccer oh, uh, and she was like, this isn't good. Um, I don't have a backup. Like I can't just, you can't really play pickup sports in your 20s if you don't have a job with good benefits because you're going to yeah. get injured that's the thing i i can't play it any, well i've already committed so much time to running but yeah i i do miss the sensation of like a good pickup game yeah and then but, but the that and like the way we used to do it i had a group that would play thursday nights at a church in maryville mm. uh which is south of knoxville for those yeah. who have no idea what we're talking about well no one even in maryville knows because you just called it maryville not maryville it's Mar- it's so st- it's maryville it's Merville. Though it is Louisville, I will admit. The, Ooh, the so you, you'll acquiesce to that, but not yeah. Merville. Yeah, it's okay. Maryville. But either way, we would play on Thursday nights, and uh, they have this McDonald's off the exit, like before mm. you get back on um, whatever highway that is to get back to Knoxville, mm. 140. And uh, I loved pulling through that drive through at 9.30 p.m. and ordering two chicken sandwiches and a large fry 
amazing after you've played six pickup games. There you go. Missed those days a, a little bit. Not a lot, but a little. Look at Chad Johnson over here, refueling with McDonald's after a good workout. Only <laughs> Ocho Cinco could respect it. Will Warren, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, hello, welcome back, Cubby Garage Friday. Oof, what a what a week, what a what a time here on Everything School HQ. I'm, I think the old, well, no, Ryan's still here temporarily. Ryan made it back from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Jack, did you go to Hattiesburg too, or were you not there? I did not, no. Okay. Well, it was only Ryan then amongst the three of us who spent a wonderful four days in, uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Great drive, great scenery, great food items. He also got uh, treated to a bombarding of uh, DMs from me throughout all the games over the weekend where look ryan uh he he called me a poster and that he i not a poser a poster because when i'm watching tennessee or atlanta sports i am a poster i am someone who's like get him out of here this is enough this is this is pr- prison for vitello for still throwing cal stark and christian scott out there at this point i i can't do it there's a certain point where i've i've lost my mind but then he moves him around where i've said like hey let's just sacrifice every third inning by christian scott and uh cal stark batting next to each other at the bottom of the order eight nine that's fine with me beef up the middle at least we have something cooking there hey it's it is what it is. It was a wild ride, and Ryan, you were a trooper for uh, for handling it. And Ethan pumping back in every now and then to be like, "Oh, Chase is still on one," and yeah, that uh, that's how I watch it. Because the group chat for my family with Tennessee going on, I'm usually not doing all of that because my uncles and my dad, like they're doing that, and yeah. then I have to go somewhere else to voice the same frustrations. And unfortunately, it's uh, it's Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess two thoughts on it. One, like, I said it to you, like, I don't, and we probably don't talk as frequently during basketball and football games in that yeah. little group chat. But, like, I've never once during basketball or football season been like, Chase is unreasonable <laughs> when we're discussing things during games. And then it's like every text you send, or every message you send during baseball, like, I just deeply sigh. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to hold back like cussing him out in this thread because what how stupid what he just said was. And not get me wrong, he has not been great in the postseason, but also was like the third best hitter Tennessee had in SEC play this season. And Cal Stark's the real kicker. I mean, you were ready to fire Tony early in the season when uh, Charlie Taylor was playing. To be over. fair, still right about that. Charlie Taylor getting any uh, any starts at this present time was a crime. It was a crime. You just contradicted yourself. At uh, this present time, you're right. Yes. I'm not sure at that time when you used the past tense of was is necessarily a crime. To Did I have to watch him at the plate for 15 minutes total? Was, Did I have to do that? Did I have to do that, Ryan, as a paying customer and as a viewer of Tennessee and connoisseur of Tennessee baseball? Did I have to do that? Did I have to suffer through that? You did, but in what, you know, whatever, that's fair. Generally speaking, you were you were on the nose with that. But what really gets me is Cal Stark has revolutionized Tennessee defensively. I mean, yeah. if you want to talk about how much better Tennessee's been defensively from now to the middle of the season, it's probably Maui in Cal Stark 1A, 1B, mm. and the two have just been so much better. And it feels like the last – we'll go back to the Kentucky series, so what that's been like 
four uh, weekends now. Mm-hmm. Cal Stark's thrown out more runners on the base paths in those four weeks since Tennessee had prior to 2023 season into the 2022 season. So, yeah, his bat hasn't been great. He did work a fantastic nine-pitch walk uh, in the, the biggest inning of the weekend I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but you're right. The, the bat's not great, but to me, the defense more than makes up with it with how good Cal Stark's been there. That's fair. And you kind of look like Cal Stark, by the way. Jack, do you see it in the <laughs> face? Like, I, I, te- I texted Ryan. I was like, he looks like Ryan. Like, Cal looks like Ryan in the face. Yeah, both of their smiles show a lot of teeth. Uh, yeah. I see it. I see it. Right. You just yeah. got to... The hair's got to, like, come down a little bit. You got to grow your hair out a little bit, and it'll be perfect, but... See? I can see it. There you go. Um, Jack, what was your biggest takeaway from the Vols surviving in Hattiesburg over the weekend? Um, Biggest takeaway is the pitching carried them to an Omaha berth when Chase Dolan or Chase Burns are shut down dominant like they were. This Tennessee team's hard to beat, and when Drew Beam's playing like that, they're hard to beat, too. So if you can just have enough offense if you're Tennessee and the pitching is like that, man, they have the capability to win it all i mean chase dolander retiring 18 of his final 20 batters and then chase burns coming out like a man possessed pumping triple digits consistently you can't touch it i mean me in the in the living room at that moment was just phenomenal stuff my wife was cracking up where like just the hitting 100 and just like just a hundred like over and over yeah yeah, the the Grim Reaper got me the. Yeah, it was so great. I was so pumped up, and my wife's like, "Stop yelling!" And I'm like, "You're missing it. It's cinema. This is cinema." <laughs> That's a great word for it. It mm-hmm. was cinema. Yes. Um, man, like Chase Burns, and now people are like, I, I don't know why the transfer stuff came up. I guess just because he was m- not in the rotation anymore. That like, uh, why would he stick around after uh, getting uh, falling out of uh, favor in the rotation and Andrew Lindsay taking a spot? But like. I don't get the vibe that he's all that unhappy and uh, unhappy with his role because you look at next year, Dollander's gone, probably Andrew Lindsay's gone. If he's back, he's going to be one of the three. And then it's pretty simple, right? It's just AJ Russell, um, Drew Beam, and Chase Burns as the main three. I don't know why he would transfer. Well, think about the biggest moments of Tennessee season, especially here in the past you know, couple months. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, Chase Burns, arguably the MVP of that game. Yeah. And that relief performance. Clemson, same thing. 99 pitch relief performance. I mean, come on. And then here in, against Southern Miss, just shutting the door like that. I wouldn't say he was the MVP of that game, but he was one of the top players. He has come through in moments when Tennessee has needed him. I mean, his performances from this season are just as memorable as anybody else's. Yeah. And I think, too, like, I, I think, I, Ryan, I uh, messaged you where I was like, is he throwing, is, is Coombs coming in? Is, is Coombs coming in? Like, whoa, what, what are we doing here? This is a big spot for him. We haven't seen him in a long time. And I was I was concerned. And he, uh, he pushed all the right buttons when it came to relief options and when to pull guys all weekend. Because that's something that Vitello trusts his dudes. And the guy, like, A.J. Russell, we didn't see all weekend. It was really interesting to see who he went with all weekend and, uh, Combs especially was uh, a big surprise, right? It was, and I think you're right. It kind of like had similar something vibes, where it's like, oh my gosh, like I wouldn't have brought Drew Beam out there for another inning. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; like I understood why he did, but immediately two hits, and then it's Aaron Combs, which obviously the plan was. I assume Matthew Essel, the Southern Miss lead off hitter, just did numbers on him, indicated he did hit, doesn't hit off speed stuff very well. So mm-hmm. it kind of made sense, I guess, to, to go to him in that moment. But still, at the moment, you're like, how long is he going to keep him in? Like, this is, 
you got everybody. You got Camden Sewell. You got Halverson. Like everybody, just about your main arms in the bullpen can get, get you some outs right now. So it was. It felt like a big gamble to go with Combs. You got to give Combs a lot of credit, but you got to give Vitello a lot of credit too. You pushed the right buttons, and uh, I mean, it just felt like first. Even even when Burns came in, let alone Combs, four zero lead, runner on first, runners on the corner, one out. It's like don't even worry about that dude on first. Like he scores, mm. that's fine. Don't worry about him. Don't let the dude on first score. Uh, take a four one lead. You get out of that, it felt like, all right, this, that's that's probably going to be it. And then Malyahuna, as, as you said, it's not your night when Malyahuna is hitting that ball opposite field out of the ballpark. And, and to kind of get it at a grand slam distance, it, it felt like at that point it was definitely over. And, man, how demoralizing that had to be for Southern Miss to not only not get a run there, but the very next it, it batted the game. And Malyahuna, has been, don't get me wrong, I think it's been really the problem, maybe the, maybe the most underrated hitter in Tennessee's lineup, but hasn't been a huge home run guy this year. Uh, for him to, to get his eighth out of the season, it had, was really what felt like the dagger. Objectively, one of the most hilarious home runs I've ever seen. But where <laughs> it, it just—are uh, you sure? Like the like it, it was one of those where I don't know how that counted. I'll take it. It was like don't review that. There's no way that's a home run, but sure, we'll go with it. Like I don't understand how that left the yard. It was one of the funniest pop out home runs where it really just kept going and just carried just a just far enough for Maui. Maui to do that so I mean I'll take it, it but you know it's it surprised Maui too did you see yes. his face when he was around <laughs> the base he was just he was just smiling like a, yeah. a little surprise like oh okay yeah Maui just like doing his own people. thing like Maui just feels like he's different than the rest of the Tennessee lineup where he is just on his own island like he's, he he strikes out he's not involved in the run like any he's so good defensively uh as of late but offensively he's just I don't know he, he feels apart from the rest of the lineup when they get cooking in the middle of the order and everything. It's usually if Maui's doing something, it's by himself. And uh, I, don't, point. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Ryan, when you saw that Tony made the adjustment to the lineup, because he had it evened out, right? Like he was more apt to like, hey, I want Blake Burke higher up. I don't want to just overload uh, Zane, Simo at the four and like really just put our seven, eight, nine guys in a hole where it's like it feels like because Burke was really struggling before he hit the just gigantic home run uh, in game two but I think that's the way to go do you think he sticks with that or do you think he goes back to against LSU more of a balanced like mixing and matching lefties and righties and being more careful with uh, the order or do you think he found something and he should probably stick with it I think he probably sticks with it at least for the time being because they won the two games that Mm. The lineup had changed. Um, do I think that means he won't tinker again? Like, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily an impossibility for him to do that again. So uh, I certainly think, it, like you said, it was a good move. It paid off. But at the same time, like, it felt like Tennessee's whole weekend offensively was just, like, timely hitting. Like, And they're right, the whole postseason has been. Like, the hitting, certainly they demolished Charlotte, and Christian Moore was unbelievable, and Griffin Merritt was really good in the regional weekend. But, like, last weekend – who do you even point to at the plate? And you're like, they were really good. Did they end up batting 204 the whole weekend? They bat 204 over the weekend. And I think Griffin <laughs> Merritt hit over 300, mm. uh, largely because he had that four-hit game in game two, which all, all I think every single hit he had all weekend was a single. Yeah. Um, so he was good, but it wasn't like, man, what a tear he was on. So it, it was all about the timely hitting, which I think you got to get where, where Zane didn't probably really exemplify that. He's got five hits in the postseason. Now four of them are home runs, two of them. <laughs> massive three-run home runs from both sides of the plate and he, especially that one obviously we talked to, we already talked about the one he hit against Clemson but the one he hit in game uh, three against Southern Miss like 
Tennessee had missed or hadn't fully taken advantage of scoring opportunities in the second and third inning. Uh, Seller Miss consistently had base runners on. Obviously, Drew Beam's a guy that's in the zone. Like, you're liable to give up a big swing at any time. And it just kind of felt like while Tennessee was playing better and was in, I guess, slight control of the game, like, if they didn't get more runs, like, the pressure was just going to mount and mount and mount on them. And, and you could very easily see them play tight kind of after what happened last year where they had the, the lead by about two runs in that Notre Dame game for most of the game. Uh, but they failed to really get it to a comfortable distance, and it came back and backfired. It just felt like when Zane didn't hit that ball, there was just like a weight lifted off of the entire Tennessee team, and I think they just played a lot more free, really, the rest of the game. That's fair. Um, Jack, when you look at the matchup against LSU this go-around, based on what you saw in the three-game series uh, earlier this year what do you think is different about this Vols team and how do you think they match up this time against LSU on Saturday night I think it's different I mean they they weren't really able to touch Paul Skeens right so I don't know if that's going to be much differently if you told me that Tennessee had three two three hits against Paul Skeens on Saturday I wouldn't be that shocked I think what's different though is they are not going to make those defensive mistakes those just little league blunders that they made in game one against LSU hmm of Seth Alverson, Christian Moore defensively, you remember how it went down. So mm. I don't think things will unravel for Tennessee like they may have unraveled earlier in the season. Not saying that Tennessee is going to be able to have more offensive success against a guy like Paul Skeens. I think they are better offensively, but not by a crazy amount. And then the pitching, you know, if Andrew Lindsay goes on Saturday night, we've seen how dominant he can be. But of course, LSU's lineup is LSU's lineup, and they haven't changed much. So Little little, uh, little adjustments in, I guess, what Tennessee's game has become, but more so not making those mistakes. Ryan, are you tempted if you're Vitello and Frank Anderson to go Dollander on yep. Saturday night? You don't want yep. Chase in the elimination game? No, I like it. I like Andrew Lindsay in the elimination game. Yeah. Like, I, I, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I would do because I think – when you're trying to match Paul, like what what does Tennessee need to do to beat Paul Skeens and LSU on Saturday night? And it's be the pitching needs to be dominant. Like mm. that's the answer. And to me, Chase Dolander, his ceiling. Now don't get me wrong, Andrew Lindsay has been dominant in start, so I don't want to act like that he's just incapable of that. But Chase Dolander's ceiling is higher than Andrew Lindsay's ceiling. He pitched well and really well, honestly, in that LSU game. I mean, I think it's easy to forget. To Jack's point, like the game was tied in the eighth inning because mm-hmm. Chase Dolander had matched what Paul Skeens had done. He hadn't been quite as dominant. There were more base runners, but the, the runs on the scoreboard were the same. And then Tennessee booted the ball around uh, southeast Louisiana for in the eighth inning, and they lost the game because of it. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that factor, not that Andrew Lindsay hasn't been in big games. It just feels like Chase Dolander's been in more big games. And whether that means he performed better, I don't know. But I like the fact I like the idea of having a higher ceiling guy there. And then at the same time, like if you lose that game, I like the idea of having the higher floor guy in game two, where yeah. Chase Dolander could very easily and he hasn't done a ton. Like it feels like his stat line is almost always five innings pitched, two, three earned runs given up. But all in like, the first inning. <laughs> all in the first inning, or all all in one inning at least. Yeah. And like you said, oftentimes the first inning. And if Tennessee hadn't scored six runs in the fourth inning against Southern Miss, that very easily could have been four runs and four innings, and he's gone. Mm. So, whereas Andrew Lindsay, to me, it feels like his floor is, I mean, I guess what he did against Southern Miss, but for the most part, he's going to give you six six innings, two runs. He's going to keep you in the thick of it. It feels like his floor is higher than Dolander's, and Dolander's ceiling's higher than him. Yeah. And because of that, 
Uh, it makes me like the matchup of going Dolan or against LSU and then saving Lindsey for, for game two against Wake Forest, or, or if you lose, having him in an elimination game. But what do we we don't think they're going to do that, right? We think we're. Uh, I don't think so. No, nah, I, I wouldn't see it happening. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, what is your official prediction here? Do you think they beat LSU on Saturday night? And we'll go under the assumption that Andrew Lindsay is pitching for uh, the Vols. What What do you think, Jack? Do you think they win? No, I don't. Uh, okay. I think it's a close game. I think it, you know all the way through. But LSU's offense just too good. I think they edge out Tennessee in game one. Ryan, what do you think? Same? Yeah, same thing. Mm. Uh, I mean, Paul Skeens is to, LSU's lost one game when Paul Skeens was on the mound this year, and their bullpen blew it. So it, it doesn't mean it's impossible to do, but it's going to be really, really tough. And the one thing I will say, I mean, you go back two years ago, and everyone talked about, man, this ballpark's bad for Tennessee. You know, this Tennessee team because all the home runs. And I guess you could say it played out that way because Tennessee's offense didn't play well. I'm not necessarily sure that was the reason. I mean, I don't think they hit a whole lot of balls that weekend. It would have been home runs at Lindsey Nelson Stadium either. And I didn't feel like that was going to be a huge thing, but for this team, like, it does feel like a huge question mark. I mean, you brought it, Chase. You brought it up like during during the Southern Miss game. Like, what's Tennessee's records in game this year where they haven't hit home runs? And I didn't know the answer, but I thought the point was pretty valid that Tennessee's offense is, to me, this year much more home run dependent than it has mm-hmm. even been in the past. Now they haven't hit as many home runs, but those offenses were just better than this one. So uh, it feels like this offense needs home runs to score, and that's going to be really hard to do against Paul Skeens to begin with. It's going to be even more difficult to do in a really big ballpark. So I'll be curious to see like if Tennessee changes things and plays a little bit of small ball and tries to bunt guys over or anything like that. I mean, they haven't done that much this season. I guess they did a little bit of it against Southern Miss. It didn't work. The, the one instance, I think when Hunter Inslee maybe uh, bunted Maui over and won at bat. He but did, yeah. I'll be curious to see if there just is like a philosophy shift of what Tennessee tries to do offensively, at least in game one. I imagine over the course of the week, of the week they won't get too, too crazy with it. But between the big ballpark and Paul schemes, I wonder if they get a little more creative. Yeah. Um, either way, it's fun. We'll see what happens. Like, it's Omaha. It's going to be weird. Tennessee, of course, making Omaha in two of the three years and not making it the year where they were maybe the best baseball team of our lifetime uh, <laughs> because that's the most baseball thing ever. Yeah. Uh, did the Vols land um, – oh, well, let's move on to uh, to the schedule release here. Jack, when you look at what Tennessee ultimately got here with their eight-game schedule, um, seems like a lot of Vols fans were pretty pissed about Georgia still being on the schedule, which, uh, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I was surprised based on people I talked to that Georgia was still on the schedule. It seemed like that was trending, that that was not going to be the case um, because it's probably not going to be the case after 2024 anyway, so you right. might as well – get off that now um but they end up still getting georgia in 2024 um they don't get texas in 2024 which again i i thought that would be like a slam dunk for them where you want arch in knoxville like you want to make sure you land that the right way if you can because if you talk about like if you forecast the number one ratings sec game two years from now i think arch in knoxville it's probably the favorite Texas and just the fan base size alone, the real UT Arch versus Nico, all that was in play. I mean, I guess maybe you could do it the following, like we'll see, but it it's makes way more sense. Or maybe not way more sense, but it makes sense that it would happen the following year now because mm. Both if Tennessee's going to Oklahoma and in theory yeah. you're playing the way they're staggering the schedule. You're going to play Oklahoma and Texas the first two years. It makes sense for Texas to come back to Tennessee and what would be yeah. Arch, Arch and Nico's junior year, which yeah. in theory 
again, it's hard to project all this stuff. That's what I'm saying. Theory, it's just hard to project. Texas would be the best that year. Yeah, I just look at it as like I'm pretty certain Nico and Arch will be both quarterbacking Texas and Tennessee at that point next year. I don't know a two year. It's just really hard to project that far yeah. down. So we'll see if uh, both are still there. But Jack, when you look well, at the with it all being out there now, do you think Tennessee got a good draw? Do you think it's a fair draw when you look at where the rest of the conference went? What was your reaction to it? I thought it was a very fair draw. I mean, a lot of SEC East teams, you keep all the four main rivalries, Kentucky, Florida, Bama, and Vandy, and then you also get Georgia. I don't think it's a big surprise Tennessee got Georgia or anything. And then the current SEC West schools you get, very manageable schools to play. It's not like you're getting LSU, right? Mm-hmm. So Arkansas, Miss State, uh, I don't. I think that's pretty manageable. And then Oklahoma, I'm not big on Oklahoma. You look at their schedule, they're going to have a tough go of it in the SEC. They may only mm. win two SEC games. I'm just not confident in their ability to bounce back in a big way as they're entering the SEC. I mean, they went, what, six and seven last year? Mm. Year one under Brent Venables didn't look good. They got run off the field by TCU, lost to Kansas, got blasted in the Red River. I just don't know about Oklahoma. So I think Tennessee could win that game too. Yeah, Georgia hurts the ceiling. It hurts the ceiling of going to maybe 11-1 and because you also play Alabama, but very manageable compared to the rest of the league for sure. I don't think we just have to... This year's going to be big in whether or not we need to readjust our expectations from Alabama with Tommy Reese and company. Like, you just oh, beat 100%. them. Like, yes. If they're an 8-4, and 9-3 and three type team this year, they're over-under is 10.5, like, more beatable than they have looked in a really long time. And it's so weird because they've never had this much talent where they're 90 percent in the blue chip ratio and you still feel really good about alabama where i just they're not as like tennessee fans should not look at alabama the same as how they've looked at them for the last 15 years i just i don't think you can look at it the same right now and don't be as fearful georgia i understand georgia is the one to just be like yeah that's not great i would like to get them off the calendar i would like to get the georgia bulldogs off my yearly calendar but i don't know I agree with your point when Alabama's in Knoxville. I mm. still think you should <laughs> fear Alabama if you're I mean, they were in that game two years ago in the fourth quarter at they Alabama. Were. They ran out of steam, but they were in that game. They were still scoring, going blow for blow for with Alabama until about, what, midway through the fourth quarter was when Alabama No, started the, started the fourth quarter. Okay, I mean, it was 28-0, we'll bang, 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 bang. That's true. Yeah. But I mean, your point, your point, and I would... Uh, as I feel like I typically do with a lot of your points, I agree with them. I would turn them back a notch. Like, mm-hmm. Alabama's not going 8-4. Let's not fool ourselves here. That's not happening. But to your point, they go 9-3, and 10-2. and two. You go t- Alabama goes 10-2 and two for what would be, what, the third straight? I guess the second straight year. Mm-hmm. And they were vulnerable the year before, too. Like, then, yeah, I mean, that's a different beast than the beast that was like, man, if anybody beats them in a regular season, like, it's a bad year. It's a bad regular season for Alabama. So it, you're right, and I think it is a different beast. I would just be hesitant to. Well, hold on. Here's what I'll say. I'm not maybe not eight and four, but like I have nine and three for Alabama this year, and I just really? maybe they get a bowl game and they lose that fourth game. But I With mean, Tennessee you, and LSU and Tuscaloosa, you still have nine and uh, nine and three. If they beat Tennessee and Tuscaloosa. No, I'm saying with LSU and Tennessee going to Tuscaloosa yes. this year, you still have Alabama finishing nine and three. They lost at A&M the last time they were there. They go and to Texas A&M this year. Tuscaloosa. Texas. They get too, all the big games at home. That's fine. But like, I just you got to go to Auburn, and when Auburn's feisty, that oh, game on. is going to be feisty. Hugh Freeze yeah, has beaten Alabama before. They're like, so if, far behind. I don't know about that. They're right there in the I, blue chip ratio too. I would not be surprised if Auburn Alabama is a game to the wire this year. Like I would not be surprised. Harson almost did it. 
we forget yeah. what Harson was doing with his group. What was that last year or two years ago? Where it was it, it had been down. two years ago. Last year yeah. was a blowout. Yeah, two years ago. Where it was right there. Like the game was actually right there for Auburn. I am not putting that one in. It's at Auburn. I understand they get some key matchups at home, but I think LSU is better than them this year. I think Tennessee will just see. I, I don't know. Tennessee will see. Texas, I think, will be better than Alabama this year. And then I just look at, at <sighs> A&M. Wild card. They won last time, and A&M could either be a CFP team or 5-7. and seven. Like I don't think and there's Jim a middle Oka ground for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on Auburn just because that game seems to always be close when it's at Auburn, yeah. no matter who, how good Auburn is. And obviously you have the Hugh Freeze factor, but I think what, uh, where I strongly disagree with you is like Alabama has been really vulnerable the last two years on the road mm. at home. They really haven't been. And you, yeah. maybe you could say maybe their road schedule has just been more heavy and more difficult, but they've basically still been the same Alabama at home. So sure. Could one of Tennessee LSU, Texas beat them? Yes. But do you I still feel that way if Tyler Buckner is under center? Do you still feel that way if Jalen Milrow is under center? I mean, those are the people who are going to be under center. So, so yeah, That's or it. I guess Ty Simpson. But I I'm saying it's Alabama's not Bryce Young be... anymore. It's not to a... Well, it's not going to be, be the same Alabama offense anymore, too. They're going right. to change their whole philosophy to more... You don't think Nick Saban hasn't seen what Kirby Smart's done with Stetson Bennett, a walk-on winning two natties, and is going to mm. change his offense a little bit. I, I do think Nick Saban wishes he had a better quarterback. There's no yeah. doubt. But they're going to change to a more ground and pound, play defense. The old Alabama is going to come out more this year under Tommy Reese, I think. I think it's just going to be worse. Dude, I'm betting on right. it being worse. I mean, maybe it will be worse. But just because it's a little bit worse doesn't – I mean, the offense being worse, it goes to this complimentary football and the style of play. Alabama's defense, I bet, will be a lot better statistically in just about yeah. every margin this year because of the way they play. And the talent is still there. And uh, you're right, quarterbacks, I'm the first person to say quarterbacks the most important possession of football. It's the equalizer for teams trying to catch the Alabama and Georgias of the world. But Alabama's so good everywhere else, and I think they're going to be better around their quarterback this year than they were around Bryce Young uh, last season, at least, maybe not two years ago, that I would just be hesitant to thinking, all right, they might play more, a lot more close games, a lot more competitive games. That doesn't mean they're going to lose all of them, and they'll yeah. probably still win seventy-five percent of them. And in my opinion, go go ten and two, and I wouldn't even be surprised to go eleven and one. I'd be floored if they went eleven and one. I just, I also think with the Tennessee factor and um, the thing that doesn't even really matter to me if it's here or in Tuscaloosa. The bigger issue is like last time they were in Tuscaloosa, Brent and I talked about it yesterday or two days ago, um, where the reason Tennessee like fell apart was that Tennessee's tackles and offensive line couldn't hold up against Alabama on the road. Like they were, Hendon was getting killed by that point and they just, they had no answer for the front seven last year. Darnell Wright completely shut down Will Anderson and that he did have time. Like Hendon hooker had time all day long against Alabama to do what he needed to do. John Campbell on the left side next year, Gerald Mincy on the right side. I, (laughs) Joe Milton's going to take some sacks. Like I just could see the situation unfolding again where it's like it really just will come down to the tackles. And if they're C's, B minuses against Alabama's A plus front seven, then you can just I, I just don't see how Tennessee wins that game and is able to do what they need to do to win at Alabama. Like it really just might come down to the tackles and Joe's uh, maneuverability that has never once popped up since being in Knoxville. I just I have my doubts on that front. Yeah, I think that's very fair, and I think that goes back to a greater point when you look at Tennessee's offense this season. I think we've talked about before, but last year you, you know, you Jack and I do it where you know you're looking 
during the week for what other teams coaches are saying about Tennessee and you know looking for content and stuff like that and everybody just said oh we got to get our got to get our feet in the ground we got to not give up the big play well all that was fine and dandy but Tennessee could drive with Hendon Hooker could drive down the field 10 plays 75 yards on you unless you were Georgia just about every drive they could mm-hmm. run the ball they could take the stuff underneath like they would play patient like that was I guess that was your best bet against the best <laughs> offense in the country, but it wasn't a good one. This year, to me, that feels like a lot more of a feasible plan against Tennessee. Like unless, unless Tennessee's just good enough to uh, line up and run right at you, which a lot of teams they probably will be. The Alabama and Georgias of the world, I'm skeptical that they will be. Unless they do that, like it's like yeah, just do not let them take the top off the defense with big play. Make Joe Milton maneuver the pocket well. Make good decisions. Convert third and intermediate. Uh, that to me is where I think Tennessee's offense could be a lot worse this year. Is that, and it's what we saw in the Orange Bowl, Orange Bowl against Clemson. It doesn't mean Tennessee, Joe Milton can't continue to get better and they figure it out over the course of next season. But when Tennessee didn't have the big plays, they struggled to move the ball against what was basically an elite defense. You know, near to what they're going to see at the top of the SEC. Jack, do you think this schedule for 2024 will end up being easier or harder than what Tennessee faces in 2023? Easier because. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I say easier because they get more big games at home. Florida, Kentucky, Bama at home. Mm. You know, say what you will about Florida, but it's still Florida. So the, we saw it in 2022. It's very similar, right? You get those three games at home, Georgia on the road. It's not mm. a carbon copy, but it's pretty close. So I think with the home games, it stacks up to be easier than this upcoming schedule. I will say, though, the non-conference is tougher because NC State's better in Virginia, you know, but looking at the sec schedule it's easier to me i think i i tend to agree there and also poor you mentioned florida anyone who doesn't uh have billy napier getting fired after next year um you might want to just go ahead and jump on that because there's no question they have the toughest schedule in college football in 2024 that is pretty bonkers what they're walking into and i i mean it it helps that a lot of them are at home i guess but like whoo you could look at that and that looks like three and nine uh, from the outside four and eight five like it just it looks bad and they're on their way i think it's been like 70 years or something since uh florida had a losing record three straight years it, billy napier has to uh, <laughs> work some magic to avoid that this year um so i don't know florida's their schedule is, is crazy and I, yeah. I agree on the the home front that's pretty brutal i just looked at it uh, i right? said Miami, oklahoma UCF, was the out of conference one, but... oh yeah that's at it. florida state I mean, that's rough. I guess the, I guess the hope is on that front is that Florida State will take a step back after this season. It does feel like this Florida State roster is very much built to win this year, and now they're going to yeah. go back to being like bad, like they or average in the ACC, like they were. But it, it does feel like they'll take a step back after this season. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Ryan, two big recruiting weekends back to back here. How are you feeling about uh, the Vols recruiting? Um, and you had Max Anderson. It feels like that's probably trending Tennessee, but he's another inside uh, offensive lineman, uh, four-star kid out of Texas. But uh, with Boo Carter uh, in the fold, we'll see. He was on campus, I think, Wednesday. Uh, Tennessee is in the thick of things here with um, Michigan on that front. It really might just come down to who wants him to play offense and if he wants to play offense or defense where he winds up. And then you read, uh, I think it was Austin Price in the Volquist uh, chat where he was like, I think Boo and Mike Matthews are pretty tight, which kind of scares me where I'm like, if Boo deflects, uh-oh, what does that mean for uh, Mike Matthews and his recruitment? But 
Um, how big is the next two weeks in uh, learning where Tennessee is ultimately going to fall in this 24 class? It's massive. I mean, it's like we talked about last week and June and July is the new January and February in recruiting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I haven't obviously been pretty preoccupied with uh, Tennessee baseball, so I haven't been just on top of all of it. It does seem like a really good sign to Boo Carter was back in Knoxville yesterday mm-hmm. before his Saturday announcement. Like you said, it does seem like there's a lot of factors going on there that uh, maybe outside of just who he likes best of what's going to decide where he ends up at. But you're, I mean, it's massive and you were hitting the panic button last weekend and Tennessee didn't have visitors on campus. Like they backloaded their official visitors in the end of the month of June. Mm. And to me, we'll see, well, we can look at this in three, four weeks and we'll have a more clear idea of whether that was a good idea or not. But for my old school recruiting brain thinking to me, that's how I would do it. I want to get these, be the last one to see these kids before they make their announcement. And as the long history of recruiting, that's usually a pretty good recipe. Maybe it doesn't work out for him this time. And it might not with a couple guys, but just from that pure factor, the Max Anderson kid from Texas is the only kid they've had in on a uh, or non-commit. I think Lindstrom, uh, the defensive lineman from Missouri was there too, mm-hmm. but the only non-committed guy they've had in an official visit so far. So, uh, they're going to get a lot of these guys. I think you're going to hear more positive trending in the next two weeks. They won't get everybody. Um, but I, I, it does feel like Boo Carter is almost the biggest one in a lot of ways just because mm-hmm. he's been their number one priority in state for like two years now, and they've been leading for him seemingly the entire time. So if they lose him, I think that would be a massive blow. Uh, but I'm sure there will be a fair share of wins and losses over the next couple weeks for Tennessee. Yeah, I think if you land Boo, it seems like Mike Matthews, because I, I, you and I have talked about this, right? Where we're not as worried about receiver or running back. Running back's probably the one I'm least concerned about with Tennessee recruiting. Like, they can plug and play anybody at this point, and I'm just, I'm not really concerned about it. Um, and then, like, you see the lead, they're leading quarterback. Like, quarterback recruiting, I think they're going to be okay on that front year over year. Not really worried about Tennessee getting the right quarterbacks. It's tackle, and you look at who's coming in and who's coming out and you're like, I don't see a lot. Like they're taking the big swings of the Marcus Easley's of the world. And I'm like, probably not landing Marcus Easley, probably not landing Daniel Calhoun, but maybe you can get wrong. Maybe you can get one of these upsets, but it feels like it's going to take a monumental upset for Tennessee to get the Darnell Wright type offensive tackle out of state in, in here uh, in the next couple cycles. And if that's the case, you're going to have to live in the portal. Like you're going to have to live in the plug and play tackle front for the next couple of years because you look behind um john campbell um going into next year and you're like who's playing tackle next year who is going to be like there's just no obvious guys i mean i guess sham as a true sophomore is a possibility but like is are you sure he's going to be ready to step into one of those spots like I don't know, Jack, when you look at it and Boo Carter, I mean, obviously I think he's probably going to end up at safety or corner if he lands in Tennessee. And Tennessee was very heavy in the DB market last uh, recruiting class. They obviously got a bunch of dudes all over the place. But who are you most intrigued by coming in over the next two weeks that uh, you really would like to see Tennessee close with? Well, I think the Boo Carter thing is interesting because we've seen Josh Heupel do a very good job at in-state recruiting. feels mm-hmm. like Boo Carter is going to kind of be the pinnacle, right? Yeah. Like, it's just been building these in-state classes, these in-state commits, and then Boo Carter is like the golden child of those, right? So if you mm-hmm. get Boo Carter, you know Josh Heupel's really, really good at in-state recruiting. So, you know, obviously that's a layup that feels to me like that's the biggest one. And, you know, Tennessee has to hit these next couple weekends of what, because of what I assume you are all 
dejected about last weekend. Of mm. course, it was the Clemson Regional Weekend when they missed out on Cameron Fountain and Sammy Brown. So yes. Tennessee's got a hit here. Yeah, I mean, Fountain was the big one. Where like Fountain, you're just like, uh oh, all right, well, you better close on one of these two because I'm looking at it and uh, talking to some other folks like around the country and just like how they would look at it with NIL because there's so much of it is just strategy, right? Like you have to be very careful with how you prioritize where the money goes, like where you're recruiting it. Like Heupel's strength is that he can win and what he's shown the first two years in Knoxville is that like he can win a lot of games with three-star receivers, with three-star quarterbacks, with three-star running backs. Like he can do a lot with less uh, with his offense where they have to get better, where they need, where you saw in the Georgia game, the difference is the front seven. Like you have to win on those guys. Like Rodney Gardner and company have to close with William Swinary. Like, I think that's number one to me, him and Franklin, if you're able to land both, I think Tennessee fans should be like, all right, this class is golden. Like if you're able to bring those guys in with David Hobbs and company, that's when you're like, okay, the tide's turning a little bit that we're getting some of those dudes to match body wise. Like you would hope that, on the offensive side you're able to do that but offensive like you look around the country and you read different recruiting things like everyone's struggling on this front everyone just outside of alabama georgia and i guess maybe michigan is struggling to find the premier offensive line blue chippers and just get them in the fold and just like it's just it's hard like you're gonna really really struggle to get those offensive tackle five-star recruits right now like it's just gonna be really really hard but defensive line they're right there and then you see wilt fong uh, has Tennessee as a lean still uh, for Winery going into the visit. Like, it will be a just body blow if they miss out on one of the two. If they miss out on both, then the panic meter is back up where I'm like, oh, this is, uh, this is a problem because you have to hit on some of those guys if you're going to be sustainable at the top of the SEC. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a blow, like a huge blow if you don't get, if you get just one of them. Yeah, because, I mean, especially if it's nowhere and you just because what what number two, three player yeah. in the country, and again, that's where I'm kind of saying you're going to get some of these guys you're not going to. It's yeah, I mean, you should be doing cartwheels if you get both of them. Like that would mm. be massive. And you said it kind of feels like it'd be the start of the turn of the tide, which I actually disagree with because I think mm. the tide's already started to turn. They've already won huge battles, even going back to the, their first year when they didn't recruit that great. They won a handful of battles along the defensive line with Josh Joseph. Joseph's and James Pierce and Joseph's going to be a guy that's going to play a lot this season. And uh, they won tons of battles there last year too. So I think it's already started to turn, but you got to win those battles every single year and you got to win a lot of them every single year. If you, to your point are going to compete with the very best, the very best of the best, the Georgias and the Alabamas. And you're right. Like that's the position there. Offensive line, defensive back. Like those are the spots that you really feel like Tennessee needs to win a lot of battles at. If they don't have to, in my, you know, in my, in, opinion like you don't dan bull in it but you don't have to be like number two three recruiting class it doesn't have to be just as good as alabama and georgia but you better be just as good at alabama and georgia recruiting defensive line recruiting defensive backs yeah and, and at least pretty close recruiting offensive line yeah and i think they're okay with like i mean even if they get talent singleton with uh who they already have in the fold like that's fine you got arian carter who i mean everyone's super excited about and if he's a superstar then hey you're set for a little bit on that front when you run the just two linebackers anyway in the corner i think they did a great job uh with dbs last cycle so i'm not as concerned about that one either um going into next year and defensive lines like that last little bit where they're thin on the defensive tackle front going into this year like when you're just like oh elijah simmons has to be a player uh in the rotation (laughs) this year um you're a little concerned because he's flashed but he has to be um uh with jayshon terry now gone at oklahoma um you just you don't have the depth omar norman lot needs to be a hit 
on the transfer portal. Like he needs to be good. Um, you say this like they need him to be dudes, and they don't. I'm need not saying to be dudes. dudes. I'm saying they like just need injuries him to be happen. Serviceable. Yeah, they do of course. And I, that's, I mean, that's probably the question with Elijah Simmons is can yeah. he stay healthy? But it's like if those two Omar Norman Lott and Elijah Simmons are just like solid rotational yeah. players, Tennessee's going to be fine on the defense line. They might not yeah. be elite, but they're going to be fine. Like there's not going to be some massive problem. Yeah. Um, Jack, when you look at uh, the Vols being favored by four by forty eight basically 48 by four touchdowns uh against uva we're only a couple months out uh from this game it's kind of wild that it'll be here before you know it in nashville um the homecoming for ryan shumpert uh, one of his favorites is neutral site games in his home yep. city it's one of his favorites he's gonna love it at nissan stadium um when you see that line the battle of almost tennessee coach versus the current tennessee coach because people forget like tony elliott was like the favorite yeah. and it was like a big deal that tennessee didn't get tony elliott we're like uh-oh uh they took us like they couldn't get tony elliott from clemson it may have been the best for everyone involved that it ended up being hypo and not tony elliott um but with what we saw from uva last year big transition from what bronco and company were running um it was tough uh the, the southpaw obviously transfers uh, brennan armstrong to nc state he really fell apart um changing schemes uh to what tony elliott was trying to do not a great year obviously coming into this game they're going to be offensively overmatched but uh do you see this being a blowout or do you see a scenario where this is actually a better game than a lot of folks are giving it credit for coming in no this is going to be a blowout uh <laughs> I don't think Virginia's going to be hardly any better than they were last year. I mean, you got the FCS quarterback. I uh, looked at their roster. They, they've, you know, pretty much all their good offensive playmakers they had a couple of years ago have exited. I just don't see this being competitive. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not a four touchdown win for Tennessee, but it's not. It's going to be one. It's a stress free win. I mean, come on. Virginia is worse than Vanderbilt. So that, Ooh, that's my you, take. You think it's going to be worse than Vanderbilt this year? I'm not saying Tennessee's going to win by more than 56 to zero, but I think Virginia is a worse team than Vanderbilt. Man. Yes. I mean, and you saw it. It was a neutral. I mean, Tennessee really had their way against uh, They didn't Vanderbilt. have to throw a pass. No. They didn't have to throw a single pass, and they could have won that game by yeah. 50, 50 points. I'm not... I'm not saying Tennessee's going to beat Virginia by more than 56. I'm not trying to compare the Vanderbilt game to this upcoming Virginia game. I'm trying to compare Virginia to Vanderbilt just as mm. football programs right now, and I think Vanderbilt is better than Virginia. So, What do you think, Ryan? Do you also see a crazy play out here? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, there's this thing going on called the Tennessee baseball season, yeah. and I haven't been in Knoxville five out of six last six weekends, and I've been pretty preoccupied with that, so I haven't dove into my Virginia study yet. Mm-hmm. You're not... I was, not- <laughs> No, been studying the Cavaliers, Ryan. Come on, mm-hmm. it's June fifteenth. I, I did write. I the extent of my uh, <laughs> look at the Cavaliers was writing a story on Tennessee being whatever is twenty seven, twenty eight point favorites. I was surprised by that. Mm. I mean, you look at it. Virginia was really bad last year. It seemed like the best part of their team is their quarterback. He transferred. So yeah, I mean, I think Virginia is going to be really bad. I try. I usually trust Vegas, and Vegas has them winning by four touchdowns. So I'd say I'd be pretty surprised if it's a, a competitive game. Yeah. You should not think of Virginia as a normal Power Five school, in my opinion. Wow, they're worse they, than UTSA. I think that's a, yeah, the, yeah, hundred like percent. They're more, they're more on the level of a G five school. So this is not some non conference, you know, Power Five interesting matchup. No, no. You say they're be- Vanderbilt's better. I was looking at this. Like Vanderbilt was hundred twelfth in passing last year, and I'm trying to find where Virginia was because they were 
ugly. Like Virginia Tech at one of three. Virginia was at eighty one. Um, man, non conference. I'm looking at different things. Like they, <laughs> uh, everything's terrible. Like yards per attempt, even on the road and neutral sites, was five point four yards per attempt. Uh, three TD, six picks. Like it was, it was rough. Um, I, th- I think what's going to happen is Tennessee's mm. going to blow Virginia out of the stadium, and then Tennessee fans are going to think that this means yeah. something bigger than what it is. Yeah, like yeah, this game will like be a, fifty-two a certain... to seven or something like that, and then they're like, "Oh, national championship contenders, here we go." And well, it's going to be that Austin P the, really fo- the following week, where it's like Tennessee's going to outscore Virginia and Austin P like one hundred and twelve to nothing or something to seven, <laughs> and that's going to be the talking point where it's like that. They picked up right where they left off. Joe Milton and company just rolling number one offense. And it's like, y'all, Gainesville is looming. Like, right? Like, it's just right there. And I'm like, Tennessee could win 200 and nothing over the first two weeks. I'm still terrified of what Gainesville looks like for, for this group. I'm like, none of it matters. Uh, I mean, get the win. You want that. But, like, yes. nothing. Completely agree. The only thing that matters is Gainesville. Like, we'll know where this season is going based on how Joe Milton yeah. plays in the swamp. Uh thousand percent like no. you should literally you should draw very <laughs> few conclusions from the first two games uh, of the season we'll yeah. we'll figure out what tennessee's got three when we enter the fourth quarter in gainesville and then to a, a, obviously a larger degree when the game's over now if virginia and tennessee are playing and virginia's defense is improved and uh joe milton is taking some bad sacks or does throw his first pick um in two years uh then you're like uh-oh Okay. Yeah. Um. That's not great. You don't want to be in a dogfight against Virginia in the first game. Now that would be pretty concerning. If there's any conclusions, like if that game's close in the fourth quarter, then and it's close, it's probably because the offense was sputtering. And then you're like, okay, this uh, is yeah. Joe Milton going to make it for 12, 13 games here. You remember the Bowling Green game? I think it was thirty-eight to six. Yes. But you knew that that was not a good game for Tennessee. Yes. I was if there, this yeah. game is 24 or 27 to 10, something mm. like that, you know it's not a good game for Tennessee. So yeah. are they going to do Austin P on a Thursday night too? Because they've always done the kickoff the last couple of years on that Thursday night. Or are they going to play that on a Saturday? Surely they wouldn't do a nah, two Saturday. Game on a Thursday. Well, that's bummer. So we don't get the Thursday night by ourselves this year? Mm. I, mm. Would li- I mean, I'm surprised you like it like as a fan. I enjoyed it. I mean, I love it as media because then you get the rest of the weekend to watch all the other. That's games, what I'm saying. Like I get to just yeah. right. Like I like that where I don't have to spend four hours in kneeling for a game that we already know is gonna blow. They're just gonna blow them out. Like I just, I'd rather focus. I would on just, I would just suggest not going to the Austin P game if I was you. Either way, I don't think you need to watch Tennessee wow. Austin P in person. Wow. Wow. No respect to the governors. <laughs> will Will Healy ain't walking through that door <laughs> in Clarksville. He ain't. He ain't. No, he's happening. not. Uh, Jack Foster, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over with Greg McElroy, Always College Football, Rocky Top Insider? What uh, what can you uh, plug here as we wrap up? Yeah, Always College Football just did a instant reaction to the SEC Home and Away Opponents release last night. Um, Greg was fired up about that, so you got to check it out. We're going to ramp our episodes back up as the season gets closer and closer, so a lot of fun over in the Always College Football world. And then Rocky Top Insider, got to keep it glued during the College World Series. Ryan and I will be in Omaha. So oh, you're fun. going too. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Ryan, what about you? Rocky Top Insider, uh, all kinds of coverage. You had a you had a feature on Cam Sewell a couple days ago, which is very good, that people should go check out. What else? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Cam Sewell feature and then plenty of 
of coverage going into this uh, this weekend and this week, and we'll have tons of stuff there. Hoping to have a, a piece on Griffin Merritt too. Um, you're trying to in the process, of trying to organize uh, those interviews. So not exactly sure when when that'll be, but sometime uh, uh, during the College World Series. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, plenty of uh, plenty of complete stuff. And then from there, it'll, it'll roll into a big month of recruiting. It'll roll into uh, Tennessee basketball summer tour to Italy and then uh, in the football season. So leave plenty of stuff uh, over the next couple of months to, to get you ready for ball football and, and ball basketball as well. It's just, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot. And I'm, I'm excited for the break though. Like there's just a little bit, you need some kind of build up and anticipation. Like obviously Tennessee baseball is going to kill me over the weekend and the next <laughs> week. But like after that, just Braves, Acuna bombs, like just a nice summer layoff there where I'm just like, I'm good. Braves are coast in the NL East. Tennessee football still a little bit away. Tennessee basketball, Hawks basketball. Like we're we just get a break. Like you need that little bit of a break to to get excited again. Hey, what you think about yeah. Trey Young's tweet? I mean, I, I laughed at it. I'm glad you brought it up because I, I I was laughing. <laughs> Maybe in LA, you in LA, you gonna win one? You aren't winning one in Atlanta, buddy. <laughs> no, he is. Uh, well, at least not next year. This is not. Yeah, a, at uh, least. Well, probably not ever, but definitely not next year. I mean, I can say definitely. Unless, I, I mean, if you want to trade, DeJ- if the Lakers are doing DeJounte for Anthony Davis or LeBron James, maybe, maybe next year. Um, but I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't know. It's just the Hawks. I could go on a whole thing about like where I think they're going. This coaching staff's really weird um, that Quinn's assembled, but like it, Trey's obviously not drafted. He was not drafted by Landry. I don't know where he stands at the front office. I don't know. It just feels like Quinn is going to end up picking one of the two, whether it being DeJounte or Trey. And we saw enough last year where even if you stagger the two, they just don't fit well enough together, but you still have Collins in there. Like, I just, I don't know. I think they have big decisions to make, and I nothing would surprise me with the Hawks over the next year or two. Nothing would surprise mm-hmm. me. Much like my Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry, the yeah. Hawks can't trade John Collins for food stamps. Like, I tried to tell everybody, mm. contract in the world, do not give this guy another contract. But he was uh, guy number one, built it, so loyal. And capped everything you can do by having by having John Collins on the contract that he's on. Look at that. Ryan Shumpert, embrace debate. First take. Ryan Shumpert has entered the chat. When it's not Tennessee football, when it's non-Tennessee, Jack, like Ryan turns, he's the take guy. Like, don't get it twisted. He gets on to me about being the take guy when it comes to Tennessee. (laughs) When he leaves that and is talking about the Titans, like, it's all bets are off. He is a totally, he's a poster at that point. He is a full-on poster. You're right, but let me tell you, I Joe Rexrode from The Athletic was in Hattie Uh. for this weekend, had two mills with him down there. And when I was getting, I didn't get into Will Levis stuff because I know I'm overly emotional to Will Levis stuff. But yeah. I got all my Tennessee Titans takes from the last two or three years out, and he agreed. Big J journalist, neutral guy, agreed with just about all of them. So mm. while I am a little more hot take, I'm a little more out there. I think I'm pretty logical with it. Do you know what's awesome for Ryan Jack is he gets John Campbell and Andre Dillard as his left tackles for both the two teams he covers <laughs> for a full football season. <laughs> Better than Dennis Daly. I'm yeah, no, anything's best, better. That's the best you can say. Oh, Ryan, just last last thing for me. Have you seen all of the Will Levis practice interceptions that have been happening? No, I mean... You threw like, like three little, two days ago. Levis slander guy, but like, you're not going to get me to draw any big conclusions from what's happening at OTAs of, or rookie minicamp. I don't even know what's going on. The very We're mandatory time. minicamp now, man. It's yeah. June. Mandatory minicamp. Stephon Diggs, get me missing to draw it. Yeah. yeah back now but yeah 
Is he back don't today? Don't get me wrong. I don't. Yeah, he he came back yesterday. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, see, everything's just happening so quickly. I People think he and Josh Allen just had an argument. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. And then Josh Allen's dating the actress. I think Haley Stanfield. Solid together. Yeah, the true great girl. Yeah. Yeah. The true great girl. Uh, there you go. I heard <laughs> you know the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Foster, Ryan Shumpert, always a pleasure. I'll talk to y'all very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.